Hello, fellow travelers. This is David Woods, your host and trusted guide. Welcome to our little fellowship as we gather to discuss the Christian life in a post-Christian world. We are broadcasting from Babylon with love. Ladies and gentlemen, we're back. I am so excited uh, to be back on the old pod here with Miss Laura Batstone. Laura, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for having me on the podcast. <laughs> Laura just fixed my life a little bit by actually making the power generator work. Um, Laura and I are, are on the pod here today to discuss something a little different, maybe, than we have in the past. Mm -hmm. And in part, Laura, a little different because it's something related to your actual life today. Very personal. Very personal. Deeply personal. Uh, deeply, deeply, deeply personal. Um, now, what, of course, we're going to be talking about then is weddings. Weddings. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Laura, you are about to be married. Yes. In when? three and a half well, weeks. Don't, okay, three and a half weeks. I almost said don't give the date out. Like, what, someone's going to, like, show up that you don't want there? <laughs> it's, uh, now, it's a pandemic wedding, okay? It is. So it's going to be, what, a lot of people tuning in? Yes. I know Lisa and I will be tuning in, for Beautiful. example. Sorry. That's all right. Oh, Ladies and gentlemen, Rachel Smith on the podcast. We'll take it from the top. We'll just start over. We I should have put a sign, Rachel. That's my fault. We were a little rollicking. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We're bouncy. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The people like normal things. Okay. Okay. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, I am so happy to be joined once again on the podcast by Miss Laura Batstone. Laura, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for having me on the pod. Laura, we have talked about many things in the past. Uh, many of those things, I have gotten really good feedback, have been helpful to people. I've also really enjoyed talking about literature. We thought about talking about a little more literature and some other things, but instead, we're gonna do something a little different today. We're gonna talk about love and marriage. Yes. Love and marriage in the age of the pandemic. Yes, in the, in the age of 2021. Oh, now, Laura, you uh, you have a lot to say about this potentially because you are in love and going to be married Ooh. in just a few short weeks. Yes, three and a half weeks. Are you nervous? Sometimes. Yeah. Not like. Not like oops. <laughs> not, not like, like that. Oops, not like that. But like, <laughs> like even just yesterday, we were in his apartment. And he was like, well, you can put your stuff here. And I had like a. Oh my gosh, so real. This is real. Like this I, is so real. I'm going to live with a boy. Oh my gosh, it's so real. Okay, now uh, you had to plan a wedding. Yes. You now you had to date, get engaged, yes. plan a wedding, and now you're going to have a wedding during a pandemic. Yes. Uh, so I am really interested in, in your perspective of that experience, but also because. Life finds a way. <laughs> In the words of, of Ian Malcolm, yes. uh, life finds a way. And, and you're not the only person I know who is on their way to being married, uh, who has dated through a pandemic, who has even gotten engaged in the midst of a pandemic. Yeah. I, as I told you earlier, I am uh, in the midst of right now uh, doing premarital counseling 
for at least, I would say, at least two young couples mm. who are uh, on their way toward marriage and who have been dating almost entirely through the pandemic. Wow. So I know it's possible. I know the Lord continues to be the Lord. Life continues to find a way. Good things continue to happen. But I do want to know, maybe as we get just kind of rolling here, what has that experience been like? Not with the big picture stuff, but let's just start with the wedding. The wedding. The wedding. Has it been considerably cheaper to have a wedding in a pandemic because you don't have to have 250 people yeah. or a lot of hurt feelings for not having them or something yeah. like that? How, what has it been like to actually plan a wedding at this time? It has been uh, weirdly freeing okay. because you are able to do things or not do things that actually don't matter. What does that mean? So... Um, I mean, this this could have happened. I'm trying to think if this would be pandemic or otherwise. But right, the the again, I would feel obligated to invite 250 people on the regular, mm -hmm. um, and so that relieves a little pressure. It also is sad. Sure. So there's I, there's the good and the bad of of mourning that. Wow, how fun would it have been to have 250 people? But then once you get into the nitty gritty of how much that would actually cost, it's unbelievable. Um, so that has been, I suppose, uh, it has been an interesting perspective of like who, who must be there. Yeah, right, right. And who is willing to like go the distance to be there has yeah. been an interesting conversation. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think a lot of this goes into a bigger conversation, but a lot of Wedding stuff, I think you have to let go of some of the American idealism of the day. Right. And when you have this pandemic question, you can let go of some of those things more easily. It doesn't have to be perfect and flawless um, because we're lucky to even have a wedding and to be married in the church that we love. So those things are so much more important that um, the other details of don't even... Matter. So it would, it's harder maybe, and, and to, to be fair, as you're saying, it's not like you planned a wedding before a pandemic, right? right. Like this is the first wedding you planned, right? Yes. Um, so, you know, knowing that, but, but your experience in part is it's maybe harder to get hung up on yes. the little things about planning a wedding that are so sort of typical, um, right. you know, make a movie out of a bowl uh, right. about people being stressed and arguing and fighting over what bow and what color is yeah. going to be this invitation for this part or this thing. Um, it's been a little easier to just say, hey, we're in a strange moment in which only the things that must matter must matter. Uh, mm -hmm. It's been maybe easier to find your way to that. Um, nonetheless, you are still an American. Yes. And having a wedding as an American is a very expensive proposition. It's, it's an identity <laughs> shaping day, I'm yes. told. Yes. It, my, who I am should be on display. But you do, do you feel any of that? Like you mentioned the, you know, the grief or the lament about not being able to have like the huge party or yeah. whatever, right? The big day. But, you know, it is so romanticized and focused on this day, this image, this picture, this moment, the dress, the, you know, the, the music, the, uh -huh. all the things. Um, have you found that that is still something that, I mean, you have, that, you know, you want it to be beautiful and, and special, um, but that you're seeing it slightly as sort of, oh my gosh, this is just too much focus on a day? 
Yeah, way too much focus on a day. I'm I'm naturally a very thrifty, some would say cheap person. <laughs> I wouldn't say cheap. Thrifty, <laughs> frugal. Frugal, okay. thrifty. Wise. Uh, I hope, I hope. So spending money is hard okay. for me. Anyway, so, so there is a weird tension of feeling like, oh, I'm supposed to be expressing myself in this day. Mm. But in order to do that, apparently I'm going to have to spend $45,000 to sort of express myself. And so those two things, I think because I'm naturally thrifty, I'm able to push back on that a little bit. Um, otherwise, yeah, I can imagine feeling an immense amount of pressure on this big day. Right. Like, um, uh, and there is there, I mean, I, I appreciate a little bit of that. Like this is the only time in my life I'm ever going to experience this be able to celebrate with these people like you know when will I ever have all my family in one place or like this bridal party in one place again may probably never again right mm -hmm. so I do want to uphold that and honor that reality but on the other end of things um the type of paper goods or china we use is completely <laughs> irrelevant to that yeah. so it's an interesting balance of like honoring the day honoring the ceremony, honoring my family and my loved ones, but also realizing that a lot of our um, our conceptions about what that honoring looks like on a wedding day is just incredibly westernized California. And in other places in the world, they would just sort of be, have a completely different expectation of what that day would look like. You so. mentioned California and we talked about this, uh, but the, what is the average cost of a wedding in California? According to the the knot. The knot. Who would know? Which they would know. They they said the average California wedding cost is thirty nine thousand dollars. Thirty nine thousand dollars, and you and I live in Orange County, and so we can only assume well, we have to be on the high side of the. Yeah. Yeah. I went to I I got a bid from one of the bougiest caterers, right, yeah. just to see like what would it be, and they quoted me around uh, twenty six to thirty thousand dollars for the food. For the food. For for hundred and fifty, I believe. It was. Oh my gosh, I've never. Hundred fifty or or two hundred people. This was a, like a year ago when we were. Like, I've never heard anything that bougie. That's that's. Ooh, wild. that was that was everything. But I'm right? That was so that was drinks, appetizer, meal, dessert. Tables, linens. Is yeah. that venue though? Is that, no. is that okay? <laughs> that's just the caterer. That's just the caterer. <laughs> oh Twenty six thousand. I laughed when I got it. I laughed. Yeah, but I mean that's uh, so you learn a little. You Ooh. sort of learn not to be surprised. Ten, uh, ten or fifteen years ago, uh, when I started doing weddings as a minister, um, it was twenty five thousand. Twenty five thousand mm -hmm. was the average in California. Mm -hmm. um, and now you're telling me it's up 15,000, um, uh, just on average, yeah. just, just, just the not just telling us what is. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you're telling me, and so for, that's why when you said 25,000 for the food, I'm thinking, Oh my gosh, that used to be the astronomical number. I would warn young couples about, Hey, look out. This yes. is what is going to be almost foisted upon you or, or you're going to end up stumbling into, this is the yeah. world, right? Uh, yeah. uh, building a $25,000 picture you're talking about some $25,000 food. Yeah, um, that's, yeah. that's terrifying, right? And yeah. And a three or $4,000 photographer, yeah, right, right, you know, right. like a, a, a $2,000 wedding boot, wedding photo booth. Like it's just, yeah, it just, I mean, this is not new discovery, but I think it is 
I had a, I'm not ignorant. I've been to a lot of weddings. I have been involved in a lot of weddings, but the price tag was amazing when it came down to it, when it's like, oh, this is my, is this, is this what we're going to do? Is this right. what we're going to be about? And uh, by the grace of God, I have parents who uh, essentially said, hey, here's a chunk of money you can use it on a wedding or whatever. Ooh. You can keep it if you don't use it on the wedding. You can just keep it. Oh, so, the so dream. That, that's the dream. And so, um, and it was not $40,000, um, so, which is fine by me. I don't need that $25,000 <laughs> catering bill. It would just, I would just haunt me. Yeah. Um, oh. But so that, I, I'm grateful for that perspective of my parents as well. And obviously the, the perspective of my fiance who could never imagine that either. And this is not judgy on the people who do it um, and who like, you know, I would love to go with that fancy caterer. The food looked amazing. I'm sure it was. And the cocktails looked great. Yeah. Like it just looked like it was going to be a complete package. Um, but I think because of COVID and the pandemic, some of those expectations were stripped away and I was able to like give up that image a little bit easier than had it just been a normal year. And um, yeah, so I think that that has, has changes your perspective when the idea of just having my bridal party all in one place is magical to yeah, me. Yeah, right. And, and so if I also get to feed them a meal Great. in the process, that's amazing. Right. Yeah. We talked uh, before a very popular episode, Tyranny of the Ideal Woman. Yeah. So maybe this to be the tyranny yeah. of the ideal wedding, right? 100%. Um, and obviously those things being related uh, in a hyper sort of uh, idealized, optimized kind of culture. But, um, but lo and behold, pandemic may be helping to not burst the bubble, but like you said, uh, bring a little bit more reality into the foreground of those kinds of decisions or even those yeah. pressures that you're describing. Maybe you would feel that more uh, when you had, quote unquote, all the options available mm -hmm. um, and all the decisions to make, whereas some, in some ways, maybe some of those, as you said, were taken away, taken away from you having to worry about in the same way. Yeah. No, I think that, that has been a... Uh... An, an interesting dynamic to add into the wedding equation of like, honestly, we didn't know, we didn't really start planning it till like two or three months out because it felt silly too. So both because of the pandemic or because just sort of your guys' mode? Uh, it was the pandemic because we thought like, can we, can we invite a hundred people? Can we invite 200 people? Can we invite 20 people? Can this like, even work? Can right. this work? Right, 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 right. So that, that looming made it be like, oh, whatever it is, it'll be great. And we had this conversation couple of weeks ago when it was becoming clear that certain people in our lives couldn't be there. Um, and, you know, we had this conversation of hell or high water. Yeah. And it was like hell or high water. Hell or high water. This, this is, is the day happen. we're going to do it. We're not going to, because I, I mean, know a lot of people who are putting it off who are, you know, waiting sure. um, or just doing, you know, we'll just elope. Um, and we decided, you know what? Hell or high water, this is the day we have waited long enough. Yeah. And there's freedom in finally making that kind of decision, yes. right? As you say. And and uh, can we name check uh, the man himself? Is that? Oh, yeah. I mean, oh. Elmar Hashimov. Elmar Hashimov, the man himself, the, the man of mystery, the man who's, by the way, is going to be uh, on the pod. But is, he's been ducking me a little bit. I'm not going to put it on blast right now, but his emails are infrequent. <laughs> he would say that, the same about mine. That checks, <laughs> as, as he says, that checks out. That checks out. Uh, busy man. 
man. Busy. But yeah, he will soon be on the pod and then it will all make sense. It will all, it will all click. Okay. Now, both of you guys, though, you described, I think, uh, that, you know, certain things are or are not like vitally important to you when it yes. comes to, right? So one of the, the blessings there is that just the people that you two happen to be, um, you're not fighting tooth and nail because you have totally different visions of this. Mm. Is that true? Yes, very true. Also, I mean, uh, I think a big thing that plays into our ease in planning a wedding is the fact that we are older. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we are the we are the final the final people. I mean, not maybe the last, but some of the final people in our friend groups to be married. Okay. So we have been through it. I have been in multiple weddings, uh, friends and family. Elmar has been in many weddings, many. groomsmen. Uh, and so at this point, it's like the the magic right. is a little gone in a healthy way, I think, wherein you have we have peeked behind the curtain, we have seen um, the good and the bad, mm -hmm. and that actually it's all kind of just a a gloss on it that isn't really when you're 21 and in the first wedding right. of a friend it feels like uh, you're being your celebrity yeah. it feels like this is but now i think as we are older and we have lived as single people for so long what is really attractive about it changes right that's very interesting. So, well, maybe um, maybe talk to us a little bit about that. Um, we we could talk about the fact that you maybe not the whole time, but you you dated through a pandemic. Yes. You certainly got engaged in yes. the middle of a pandemic, um, but you've you've now brought in the subject of sort of where you're at um, as far as your friend groups, your peers, um, and and both as and as Christians. It also, it, depending on the circles, becomes increasingly rare for people to not be married mm -hmm. up to certain ages or whatever. Um, so maybe I could just ask this question. How, what was it like being single, uh, a single Christian woman um, as friends started to get married, as, yeah. as life, as career and other things started to develop and go? And what, what has that I don't say journey, that feels like a, a silly <laughs> word. What has that journey been like? What has that experience been like uh, for you? Um, is many people, um, many people feel like overwhelmed uh, as each year goes by, feel forced into maybe looking or dating in ways that they wouldn't have yeah. because they feel like, oh my gosh, I'm getting older. Um, that can really contribute to a lot of different kinds of decision-making or pressures in the heart. Um, what, what is that experience? What was that experience like for you being sort of patient in waiting um, for, for this person or for this timing to kind of come about? That is a good question. That is a complex question. I think it has its ups and downs uh, to be really one of the last of your friends <laughs> to get married. Um, there, There's pros and cons to it, obviously, as with all things. I think you have this assumption 
of how things are going to go when you're like 18. And even now I talk to my students and they'll say, well, I'll be married by 24. Like, of course, which to them feels like an eternity away. But then on the other side of 24, you realize, oh, wow, that was, you know. So um, you, I, you get to a point, though, where you just you start to maybe not assume so much. And I remember this. Um, well, I just, I remember those seasons of, wow, people are finding their people and I'm not, but it was never, it was never devastating or heartbreaking. I think there were some heartbreaking moments in the process of like thinking you found your person and then it's not, but um, by the grace of God in my twenties, <laughs> this is a strange thing to say, but in my twenties, I didn't have any serious relationships mm. <laughs> like they were always just very fairly casual like under six months like you know not serious not talking about the future type relationships and I think that was a little easier than if I had been like serially dating very seriously throughout mm. the whole time um because then it just would have felt like a continual, like, and there's another one, and there's another one, and there's another right. one, and I can't make it work. A series of disappointments yes. instead of just, yeah. yeah. So uh, there, having it just be a little bit of a famine is, I suppose, better <laughs> than the, the feast and famine, feast and famine. Um, and I think, yeah, I, I'm not quite sure what else, how else to characterize it besides the fact that it, it allowed me to really dive in deeply into friendships, into my church, which saw my value as a single woman mm. and like gave me leadership positions, despite my, you know, the defect of my singleness, which is <laughs> they would never say they would right, never. Right, right, right. So that they just didn't they my church didn't see that as a problem. Right. Um, they but, weren't tapping their foot waiting for you to. Right. And then right. we can. Yeah. And uh, I think neither did my workplaces, right? Being, uh, being an educator, being a teacher, there's a lot of doors um, open to me that like weren't dependent on my social status mm -hmm. in that way. So yeah, there were, there definitely were sad days of seeing, you know, you hate to feel sad when somebody gets engaged. You're like, yay, oh no, you know, <laughs> right. there's definitely that push and pull of it. Um, but I, I think, thankfully, I was able to dive deeply into church and deeply into career in a way that wasn't just purely distracting myself, but like genuinely there was work to be done. And I could be grateful for the gift of these new people in my life, rather than being possessive of my friends and instead like seeing their husbands as an extension of like now i have somebody new in my life mm -hmm. right which i think is is a can be a, a real troublesome trap when a single woman's friend gets married and then it's like oh well they're gone now um because they're not gone and they don't want to be gone you just have to learn to be okay with the ebbs and flow in their life the next six months you may not see them a lot and then they're going to realize like oh i miss my friends you know mm -hmm. it's the same thing that i think happens when uh, women become mothers, mm -hmm. they tend to sort of disappear for a while, but then they come back. And so learning those patterns was also helpful in setting my expectations of like, okay, what are these relationships look like rather than demanding nothing changes. Right. Um, 
or and I've also known people who preemptively sort of destroy a relationship with a friend because the idea of them getting married hurts too much. And so, yeah, I think learning to be okay with the with other people, the gift of other people's relationships and not sort of demanding that people keep pace with my life in the same way they don't demand I keep pace with their life. And like, you have to be married to hang out with us, mm -hmm. you know, um, which I is also something that happens. So, yeah, I think people just, you know, tend to, it's the inner ring thing again, like single people tend to go with single people and married people tend to go with married people um, because it feels less, um, I don't know if I want to say judgy or something, but less difficult, less. Yeah. There's less comparison. Yeah. So uh, I think handling, learning how to handle that and being a community that can talk through those things is incredibly important. Otherwise you're going to land with a lot of animosity. Um, just for like how you did or did not support me in my different, in my marriage or in my singleness or whatever. Right. So that is sort of my rambling answer. No, that's, well, it's so interesting. That's so complex because you're describing not only sort of yourself uh, as a single person, but the way that your close friendships are changing as other people are not still single at the same time or whatever. Right. And no, I well, maybe not, but I don't think anybody talks about that you know, how to navigate when your close friends are entering seasons of life that you're not in um, and vice versa, like you said, um, so that they're not excluding, um, but that you're changing or, or letting your expectations be more malleable, especially because it's not like you've necessarily experienced that until you've experienced it. Yeah. So you sort of discover maybe that, oh, wow, they just disappeared for several months as they tried to figure out whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but, oh, look, she's coming back, you know, like, okay, yeah. like keep placing your heart open and then learning how to do that, maybe with the next friend or whatever. But that, that seems to be something unbelievably important complex and that I don't hear people talking about um, and maybe it's just because I haven't I haven't sought out that conversation as much but um, but an interesting part of being single um, yeah. how to maintain friendships with friends who are becoming married and going right. through other seasons of life yeah it's it's mm. it's complex and it's just it's a, as a reminder again to, to have grace with people in all their seasons because we tend to assume like well you are in a more advanced quote unquote advanced stage than me. So you should have more to offer me. Mm. Um, when in reality, you know, they're trying to figure out how to handle this new person they're living right, with. Right. Or this new baby that's suddenly in their home. Would you say, I mean, now, is it also true that it's very difficult, maybe as a single Christian woman, to <laughs> to find a mature Christian men as no, they're everywhere. <laughs> as time goes by, or There's I mean, as you especially get more wisdom and you realize what you're actually looking at more as the years go by. I mean, isn't there a real poverty of I mean, without being unfair or mean yeah. or whatever? But it seems like uh, there are less and less Christian men who are maturing in in that yeah. in that same way. And I, I don't have the stats on it. <laughs> I don't have the, I don't have any stats. Yeah, but, no stats. But they say, they say that, right? They say that women outnumber men in the church. Yes, it seems like that in general, uh, that that's held as a pretty. There's more women at Christian colleges than men. Okay. 
So I have no, do your own research. <laughs> but I think, I think the single women out there are like, yeah. Okay. But okay. That maybe that's, so maybe it's anecdotal, yeah. but as a pastor, yeah, the strong vibes I get from sisters in Christ yeah. who have been single for a little while or longer than they had maybe expected before uh -huh. is what the heck, there's nothing out here. Yeah. This is really depressing. Uh, of course, I'm going to start dating a nice guy, even Ooh. if he's not a Christian, right? Mm. Like, isn't that what we, I mean, like, yeah. what, what are we waiting for? Mr. Perfect, Laura? Like, we really think that there's just going to be some Christian guy that yeah. is going to check all those boxes. Even Better as, like, someone than no one. <laughs> Better someone than no one. Uh, yeah, no, I would agree. And like, this is not to disparage my brothers in Christ who are like, you know, holding it out, waiting, waiting for a Christian woman themselves. That's but, right. but I, I do know more single Christian women in their thirties than single Christian men in their thirties. That's, That's just a personal. Yeah, yeah. So I've got, I've always, I've got a couple people in my life who I'm always like on the hunt. <laughs> and I, cause I was that person yeah, for people too. Like, and that's honestly why I met my fiance is because friends who are always had their eyes open for me matched us up. Like they're like, you two should meet. Nice. So, um, yeah, that did you, feels. Did you feel that yourself? Yeah, that there aren't that, enough. Like yeah. the frustration oh, yeah. of like, what on earth is no, is out no, there? No, completely. Yeah. There. Uh, yeah. The 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 Christian men I knew were all substantially younger than me, like five or six years younger than me. So, um, which is not a deal breaker, but when you're 30 and they're 24, 25, 26, it feels different. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I would say that I definitely felt that, and there was, uh, a disconnect between, uh, like, I, I suppose the nominally Christian and the, the committed Christian of, um, yeah, like there were seasons in my life of being interested in someone who was fine, but like when push came to shove, where they actually... How devoted were they actually? And so um, that's a tough, that's a tough thing to have wonderful single people in my life who like, if there was somebody like, I promise I would connect to you. Like I, I would, but there's just not. So yeah, I definitely felt the same way. And that's, I mean, people express that to me all the time too, of like, you know, I'm looking for you. And when I find someone and, uh, not that I was desperate or whatever, and I appreciated having people on my team doing that, but you would think it would be a little bit easier. You would think the church would, that it would be pretty, a bit more natural, mm. but for whatever reason. Now you have, you know, you mentioned the church yeah. in your story, in your, in your time, especially, you know, those years that you were single. Um, the role that the church played, do you think that sort of uh, militated against the a sense of like, you, you know, because you describe yourself as not being like necessarily sort of like obsessed with needing to right. quickly find and get married or, or, or changing yeah. your standards or expectations because you're feeling like I'm getting older and this is getting a little yeah. scary. Um, did the church have a, a place in that part of your mm -hmm your your heart your expectation yeah. or your focus yeah i think so i got I, I got very deeply involved in my church i've been there ooh, eight eight plus years and um there was an amazing group of women uh of older than me right from five years to 20 years to 30 years older than me and um 
we got we got and are very close. And so I think seeing that and having that affirmation spoken into my life, then being given a leadership position to lead the women's ministry at my church as a single woman and having my elders building me up and supporting me in that. Um, I think that made the, I don't know, it made me feel a little less like a little less strange or out there. And I think especially having older Christian women uh, shoot straight with me about what marriage is like and what marriage isn't was very profound for me as well. Um, and then to know them and to hear them talking, how they spoke about their husbands and then to know their husbands and then see their character. I don't know. I, I was given a, a look at a lot of different marriages. Um, shout out to my crew. You know who you are. But like just the a lot of marriages were just very open with what it's actually like. Mm. And not in that, not to say that it made me less anxious to be married, but it was like, oh no, this is the reality. This isn't the fairy tale. Right. So what do I actually need? Like I actually want somebody who um, has the fruits of the spirit, who I trust and who I respect and who would be a good father. Like the other stuff, having someone who is just sort of fine um, will feel incredibly lacking in the future. So like settling, um, I think this was a Tim Keller line that has stuck with me since my early twenties, which is that a bad marriage is lonelier than being alone. Yeah. And so I think knowing that, and then like seeing all these good marriages, I was like, yeah, it's worth waiting for that. Like it's not worth settling for this because I would rather be my independent self and be lonely sometimes than to be stuck in something that, yeah, it's like, so being in a bad marriage is way lonelier. That's just something I, I held to. And it's not hard to believe. If you've seen a bad marriage, you're like, yeah, that seems incredibly lonely. And so um, having that crew speaking into the reality of what marriage is actually like, not, and, um, and then having the church invite me in and not having me feel ostracized because of it um, is very profound mm. too. That's so interesting in the sense that you, I think when we were talking about your friends, we were talking about those that are your peers around the same age, yes. life transitions and stuff. But then you brought in this other kind of group, which are also obviously friends, but who are of different ages, yeah. able to expand uh, uh -huh. what you're able to see and understand about life. Um, maybe not necessarily burst, but change or um, the romantic, oh, the overly romanticized version uh -huh. of marriage, which is why people get obsessed with it. It's going to solve all the problems. I'm finally going to yeah. be happy. I'm finally going to feel complete and whole and whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, so a slightly different thing there with sisters in Christ who maybe weren't your peer group, yes. but provided something vital your peers couldn't have provided, especially because they're in the middle of their lives unfolding mm -hmm. or beginning marriage, yes. but not having the perspective that you're describing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, that's a weird encouragement, but I do encourage, I mean, what, this is Titus, right? <laughs> I, I encourage it, you to become friends if you're younger if you're on the younger end of things become friends with a woman who has children your age oh that's interesting 
It, I don't know. Yeah. It was really great. Yeah. Uh, or maybe if not that dramatic of a difference, but yeah, actually I can think of a few pretty intimate friendships that uh, through the, through, you know, my church family um, or just, you know, or who are five to 10 years into marriage at the very least. Um, they, they tell very, they give very different advice than somebody who's like a year in, two years in, though I value their opinion too. But I think having the like, oh yeah, we've been together 20 years and uh, here's why, you know, what people say about this is totally crazy. Mm -hmm. or, here's why this is right. Or here's why seeing that and seeing those walked out uh, was profound to me. Taking away some of the mystery and then speculation or wondering all the what yeah. ifs, which can just be such a distraction, whether it's positive or negative. Yeah. Um, so yeah, th so the role of the church, a healthy church, multi-generational yep. group, not just finding the singles ministry. No, not, <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Right, not just finding a church group of your peers, uh -huh. right? Um, but fi finding a cross-generational group of, of, of women at different seasons and different st stages of life, yes. able to speak uh, from from that place in an honest way, as you say, the openness of, of even the, those marriages to you know being able to be real, uh, and that you were connected to those people, and it wasn't just I went to a class and they talked about certain things and they you know, yeah. gave me some anecdotes, but uh, no, I knew them like and uh -huh. I, I knew their husband, I knew their family, I knew, you know, their their the rhythms yes. of their life in that way. Yes, yes, um, yes. So what I mean, what would you say then about would you say that you then had a picture of what you were looking for or was it more like. I mean, you know, they yeah. say like when, when people, not just girls, but when people are younger, right, they'll, they'll have like some silly list or like an idealistic um, whatever, right? Oh, I have a story about this. Give me a story about this. So for, for a minute, yeah. for a hot minute, yeah. I was attending a church that will not be named. Okay. It no longer exists. Oh, I could guess. Um, okay. So <laughs> I, I was trying to figure out what to do. I was probably in college, right out of college, uh -huh. something like that. Probably right out of college. And no, 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 it would have been before because I started going to my church right out of college. Okay, so I'm in college trying to figure out what to do. Start going to this real hip church, real hip. Hmm. And they're going through a series on marriage. Uh -oh. Best-selling book, the whole thing. Yep. Okay. Um, and I decided to go to a small group for the first time. I hadn't been to a small group. Here, I'd only gone to a couple of Sundays and I thought, okay, let's like, let's try to get connected. And in that small group, you would like talk collectively as a group and then the men and women would split up because the topic was like marriage and sort of talk about whatever. And somehow the topic came up of this, I forget, I forget how it came up, but essentially my question was about the specificity of what you should look for, mm -hmm. right? They were sort of saying like, you need to be open to like who God has for you, et cetera, et cetera, which is totally valid, totally fine. And then I was like, yeah, but what about certain things you would really would prefer? Like say, for example, I really would want somebody who loves to read. I love to read. I would want somebody who loves literature. And the woman leading the small group said, that's a little specific. Hmm. <laughs> And I remember thinking, 
Well, I know it's a little specific, but also like I'm an English teacher. Like <laughs> this is not just, yeah. you know, but I was trying to give an example uh, or I was trying to process through in my young self. Like, how do you know if this is the right fit? Like right. there's a certain number of things of tangible hobbies and things that should be in common and certain things uh, that do not matter. Right. So trying to gauge that. Anyway, that's hilarious because I'm marrying another, I'm marrying another English teacher. So <laughs> it worked out for me. Ding, 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 ding. We both love to read. Yay. So not, this is not a message of like, so hold tight to your list, ladies or something. <laughs> but I think there is something to like, uh, I had, I don't have a, I don't, I wouldn't say I have a type. Maybe I do if somebody else was looking at it or I didn't have like a list of what I was looking for specifically, but there is a sense of compatibility in some bigger things that I am grateful to have found. Like, I know reading books isn't a, isn't a huge deal, but for someone who teaches literature to not be able to communicate about my day like that would be a bummer. It'd be fine. Wouldn't be a bummer. Um, so yeah, I would say I did not have a list per se besides some really big, broad things that mattered to me, which is that I wanted them to be able to hold their own. Like I, something that if we went to a party together, I didn't want to take care of them, mm. uh, which is a silly thing, but it's actually extremely comforting to know like, oh, I could leave you in a room with my friends and not be like, what is he gonna say or do? Yeah, is he all right? <laughs> is he okay? <laughs> is he okay or is he gonna say like, I guess part of that is like, yeah, just, the, the solid character of that. So that was something that I know that has been very important to me and I have remembered expressing to people. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I don't honestly, I don't think I had a big list, big things I was looking for. Uh, my fiance has a lot of very random things about him that I would never would have forecasted for myself. So in a good way. Mm -hmm. um, but you knew at least on some level the seriousness of his relationship with the Lord. Oh yeah, uh, right? I mean yeah, I I, didn't, because, well, I don't say that because it's it's such a given to me, but I do need to explicitly state. Okay, it. it's a given to you. I but know it is the thing that starts to get negotiated down yes. as as the years okay. tick on, right? Okay, yes. So, so speaking from that perspective, yeah. yes, committed to his faith, committed to his church, not a flaky churchgoer. Ooh. I think this is a really big thing and huge tell. Huge tell yeah. of like how committed, like does your pastor know your name, mm -hmm. you know? Um, are you invested? Are you involved? Or am I going to be dragging you along with me in the spiritual journey? Like, am I going to try to be forcing conversations about faith awkwardly on Sundays? Would you prefer to skip? Um, or like on the days where I want to sleep in, would you force me to go? Like, so that was a priority for sure. Um, and yeah, it's, you feel, you can feel kind of legalistic wanting that, but it's not, it's not legalistic to ask someone's life to be shaped by their faith. Like if you're confessing to believe these things, then your life should look substantially different than someone who can, does not confess those things. So you, there is a bit of guilt in, in having that expectation of someone and not that they must do it perfectly or they must have no doubts or anything, but a commitment to the cause at the very least, mm -hmm. like being in it um, 
and being a part of the process, a part of community. Um, and I think something else, I, I, you know, hindsight is 2020, so I can't really tell if I'm projecting this as something I used to value, but in reality, it's just something I've realized I value. But um, if they have a lot of Christian friends, is a pretty big tell. Like, so are they devoted to their church and are their friends devoted to their faith and Christianity? Um, I don't know. The very rarely is there a lone wolf like that. So um, it doesn't necessarily have to be all in the same church community either. Like I think Elmar's closest friends do not go to the same church as us, but they are committed to their churches and invested in the process and are very emotionally invested in each other in a way that expresses a maturity of relationship that then translates to me, right? So right. he has these men in his life and these women in his life who are pouring into him and asking him how he's doing and he's doing the same and they're celebrating him and he's celebrating them. Well, then when I enter the circle, it's not like a new concept of like, oh, I have to build and support you know, the emotional life of oh, another person. Here's Christian Laura trying to get us all to talk about Jesus again. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. And like he, I don't know, you're just, you are in the practice of yeah. community, right. right? And what is a spouse except for like another member of the community, like an intimate member of the community. So um, yeah, so not having to like train someone in like, here's how you care for another person. But it's like, oh no, you in your singleness have a, a fabulous community of people who love and care for each other and would die for each other. So then I can imagine you doing the same for me. It doesn't right. feel like this and it doesn't for you. Um, it, I don't seem like this totally foreign entity of like you're invading my independence or something mm -hmm. because no, I am dependent on a community of people already. So you're saying in part a maturity in your faith and the Christian in your walk with the Lord and your relationship with the Lord um, should or very likely or um, sensibly would go hand in hand with a certain kind of emotional or relational maturity yeah. that you haven't been getting increasingly independent of responsibility or right. taking care of people just because you aren't married yet, exactly. but you have intentionally sought out the, those kinds of deep, honest relationships. Um, uh -huh. And that's evidence of a uh, seriousness of your own faith because yeah. you're not trying to walk that out by yourself. Uh -huh. um, and so, because for many people, when they don't see that, that person, especially, um, they begin to feel even more sort of ostracized from the general peer group of the world, because mm -hmm. now they're also looking for a Christian. Now they're also looking yeah. for a spiritual maturity. And it's difficult enough to just find someone who isn't maybe, you know, like unmotivated by all things or totally <laughs> awful or mean or whatever. Right. Right. Um, so now it, it can feel like, oh, Laura, that's such a big ask. Like you're, you know, like that's such a, but you're saying there are things that are just, that were just they must be there for you to be yeah, the interested. Non, yeah, the non-negotiables. Otherwise, it just is going to become, um, again, this is another Tim Keller thing. Tim Keller's Meaning of Marriage and his sermon series on it were extraordinarily foundational to how I lived as a single person and how I viewed marriage. And he talks about how just it's the gravitational pull. You can't both be working towards different ends. Like if you are, if the two have become one, 
and one of you is like pro progressing in faith and the other one isn't like it's inevitable one of you has to go with the other and so um yeah so the non the, those things were non-negotiable to me just to have certain because you're balance. talking about a life together a life that is going to pull no matter what no matter what um and you know that you want to to it to be pulling in the right direction the direction you know the lord's called you to go uh -huh. um so in that sense you're not just thinking about meeting dating or getting married you're thinking about your marriage your life down the road and what it would look like um in my experience as pastor it's evident and in my experience actually in my 20s i could say as well um, that there is nothing sort of more soul deadening than trying to talk someone into caring about jesus the way you do oh, or trying yeah. to motivate them to go to church or trying uh -huh. to being in that position where you're the person who's always trying to pull um it's it's awful it's exhausting and it's as you said before it can be the loneliest place in the world because then even if it works, what works that you like guilted them into it? Right. Like this, they didn't even want it. You know, you're right. trying to talk them into something that yeah. you can't make them want. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I mean, I see the, I see how hard that is um, for mm -hmm. people who are um, maybe with someone who is not in the same yeah. place, spiritual with maturity or, or, or with the Lord. And it, it's really difficult. Yeah. It's, plainly very difficult and yeah yeah and i think um something that comes with that to take it there can we take it there take it there um along with that comes like needing to have a conversation or like about sexuality pretty quickly to know like hey are we on the same page here about what is or is not okay um because to that gravitational pull thing to be the only one holding the line is exhausting and depressing and yeah, like it's just going to be very demotivating. So I think that's a, a fairly large flag too of like, are we on the same page where we're at with our Christianity? Um, do you have sort of a different sexual ethic than I do? Right. Am I always going to be dragging you along? Or are you always going to be dragging me along to do something I don't want to be doing? Uh, for better or for worse. So yeah, I think that's another like conversation or thing that needs to be established pretty quickly of like, hey, is this a non-negotiable? Or like, is this, if I was open to it, would you be open to it? Right, so whatever. Yeah. yeah. So that that's a pretty big tell for me too of, in that, in the realm of like, are we advancing on the same path here? Like, do we have the same view of what a relationship is and what it's for? Uh, what, how, what dating looks like? Or do you have a completely different view of what dating looks like that I'm going to find out in three to four months? Right. So I think having to have some of those explicit conversations, um, if you don't already have some of that knowledge based on a community, right? So if you're meeting someone online or you're, you know, you don't, share community with them, then those are going to be really up in the air. And it can be painful not to know. And it can be painful to grow attached to somebody who then is like, oh, well, but you know, I don't actually believe in the afterlife or something like having those, those drops or like, oh, wait, you don't believe in sex before marriage. Like having that come out is just like, oh, right. so you kind of have to decide what some of those non-negotiables are for you. 
and you need to communicate those pretty quickly. I think, um, who are the guys, use a book recommendation that the cover is very silly, but it was very helpful for me when I was like 22, hmm. which is the Boundaries and Dating book by Cloud and Townsend. Oh, okay. I know the names. I didn't, I haven't read it. Yeah. And they say, um, cause they have all the, they have 10,000 boundaries books and there's one for boundaries and dating <laughs> and in it, they have this line, which is that like anything but a hundred percent honesty is dishonesty in dating, Ooh. because if you aren't communicating what you actually want or don't want, then you're being dishonest with this person and you're like stringing them along. So that was foundational for me to be like, oh yeah, this is what I, this is like, these are the non-negotiables. So that way I'm not just, you know, wasting your time. Right, right. So that's, Funny yeah. Games. Yeah, that's something that comes to mind in terms of like, what are you looking for? You need to keep the things that actually matter, right? Not the silly things about music or style or whatever, but the things that actually matter to you you need to communicate those fairly quickly. Like if you are dead set against having kids ever, you need to let that person know, especially if you're above 25, like. Right, right, right. You know, would so. You, so you would you say as you got older, it became easier or clearer to you, especially like you said, if you had no way of knowing this person, except that you just met them. Yeah. Um, that you were gonna have those kinds of conversations early. Just, yeah. just to save yourself the heartache or exhaustion or whatever yeah. and them as well, Yeah. Uh, potentially. Yeah. Um, what about, you know, you and I both teach teenagers. Yeah. Um, what about, <laughs> what about the, in the, in the world of sort of the on the younger side? Um, let's say, let's say sort of the chaos of, you know, the life Twitter pated. Um, like you said something to me the other day about what, what was it? A question that you think oh, yeah. people, anyone should ask about their relationship or their dating life or the person yeah. they might be interested in. Yeah, what was that? Uh, you ask, ask, has this person made me kinder? Or would I describe this person as kind? I think that's pretty underrated, at least with the youths. Yeah, the right? youths. <laughs> is the, like, yeah, would I describe this person as kind or is this person always testy? This actually came up in our discussion of Great Gatsby a little bit mm. with Tom Buchanan, right, is explosive and he is aggressive and it, and, uh, and just reflecting on what I, I wouldn't have been able to express as a non-negotiable, but now that I see the where I'm at, it's a non-negotiable. If someone is aggressive, that's a, that's a bad sign. Like that's just, not that it's a sign, you know, but if we think of the, the fruit of the spirit is, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, Self-control. Self-control. And I feel like I missed one. Oh, I don't know. You sound like you're pretty good. Okay, good. You, you just put pastor on the spot. I think I might have dropped the check ball. Check me. Um, no, I was I like, think, that's, that's I working. I think we're pretty good. <laughs> but anyway, all of those things, that gentleness, patience, I, those are so underrated. Right. Um, and yeah, so just like, the, I don't know, the first time somebody, you know, if you're on a, an early date with someone, first few dates, and they're an angry driver, or they're like getting mad at the wait staff, or they're like frustrated at you. That's a, that's a little alarming early, like if that's, that's an early sign. Everybody gets testy at some point, but that's something I was reflecting on of just like people tend not to value that. They tend to want someone who is really motivated or, um, Charismatic, know, charismatic yeah. or has like a sense of style or has 
um, yeah, just energy, right? which is not inherently wrong with any of those things. But then like, well, would you describe them as patient and kind and gentle? Or are you sort of on eggshells? Or do they get in moods, you know? And uh, I don't know, I've been talking to students and, and women at church lately just about that reality because that's a long a lifetime it's a long lifetime with somebody who's angry yeah i and uh, you know this is another there um but talked a little bit today about uh, the effect of pornography on relationships yeah and that lack of self-control that aggression right the what that's doing to a generation that's growing up with with private access with their phones to worlds that uh, I certainly was not, did not have oh, that yeah. same kind of access to in that way at their ages. And, um, and it's, and, and a lot of the, the most sort of toxic developments are about aggression. They're about violence. They're about um, that kind of, you know, isolate sort of moody, you know, whatever the world is sort of like on my terms and I'm used to sort of instrumentalizing things and, and, and there's a loss of even how to relate mm-hmm. kindly, gently yeah. to see the humanity or person of someone that you're dating because you don't have the, the skills to do that. You haven't been, you've been trained out of that. If you've yeah. gotten into pornography, if you've gotten, you know, especially if you, if you get addicted, which many people do. Um, and even when I was talking about it in class, yeah, you know, I obviously want to be really careful how I, how I talk about it, but I could, you could feel the room like knowing that something was true and it was like and and i you know my heart was just breaking for the fact that they're like the lab rats of this like social experiment of growing up you know in this climate that has never been that um ubiquitous um in that way right um, but it was interesting because I remembered what you said about, is this person kind? And when you said kind, um, that has to be cultivated and developed, as you mm-hmm. said, it's a fruit of the spirit, right? And so it wouldn't be able to sort of coexist easily with some of those other kinds of things. Yes. Um, it would provoke, it would, it would demand um, something or it would tell or show um, because it would suddenly start to disappear or it would never fully arrive as a virtue. Um, and so those things, those fruits, uh, the fruits of the spirit that you mentioned, um, they're not sort of goody, goody. Um, oh, a passive sweet person who no, you know yeah. doesn't know how to, you know, you know, take responsibility uh-huh. or be decisive or whatever. Um, but those things do occupy a space that many of the other vices that are especially hidden, mm-hmm. um, whether teenager or 20 something or 30 something or 40 something, um, that would not coexist easily with those mm-hmm. more private vices um, that many are falling into or, or developing. So it can be a, a tell in a way that is really subtle, um, but it is a, it was an interesting thing just holding that mm-hmm. idea of does this relationship make you nervous do, do you feel uncomfortable with this person in moments because of their mood or their aggression like you said um is this and is this relationship making you kinder mm-hmm. as a person i mean that is a profound question like, um, am i am i more sensitive 
to the needs of others? Like, am I, am I more aware of how my language hurts people because of the person I'm with? Mm. And by the grace of God, I think I can say with Elmar, that's the case. Like he's opened my eyes to things or like, and he has a gentleness about him, gentleness being strength under control, under Mm. Mm self-control, right? Um, that, yeah, has, has rubbed off on me. And I I think I can see that. Um, and I just, so many times I, I just, I wonder at some of our, our, our students' relationships or other people. And you're like, I don't, what do you, do you like who you've become with this person? Um, at the very least, is this person making you more Christ-like um, to put the spiritual name on it? And if you can't say yes, I don't know, what's the point? You know, if, if it's, yeah, if it's just making your life more dramatic or painful or then, yeah, what's the point? Hmm. No, I mean, I, but, but you're giving a, a perspective, um, right? That in part is kind of like those perspectives that really helped you yeah. when you had seen certain things that way. Yeah. Um, and that seems to be, I mean, especially as a, as a mentor or teacher, you know, a person who people trust or people, you know, are involved in people's lives that way. It would be weird uh, not to try to say yeah. what you see. Right. Right. Yeah. And honestly, one of, one of the drawbacks to getting married is that I know some of my opinions won't be as validated. Like I think for, for a long time, I have been like the single person in the room who's like, yeah, she gives good advice because she's also single. And now I know I'm losing that ability to like speak to, to, to other single people and have that same be on the same page as them of like, Hey, we're going through this together. Like, let's stick it out together. Don't compromise. Don't settle. We're both doing it. And now I'm realizing, Oh, I'm kind of moving out of that sphere, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. And I hope I have built enough relationship to be able to continue to do that. Um, but yeah, I think that sort of having a solidarity of purpose with the other single people in your life, or, or bring those married people in for that um, will make a big difference. And if you let them speak honestly, again, this goes back to the community question. Do you have people in your life who could honestly tell you, I don't like that person, or you seem to be more anxious or more angry or more, uh, you don't attend church as much um, now that you started dating this guy. Like, do you have those people in your life? Um, if not, then the pull is gonna be uh, pretty dramatic, I think. Um, so that's, that's sort of one of those foundational things that you need to have that, or if when you add somebody else into the mix, it'll just be based on your opinion of like, I think this person's making me better <laughs> rather than having others in your life validate like, no, this person's a great fit. And like, go for it, we're so excited. Cause I've had people in my life tell me like after I ended something be like, oh, phew. <laughs> we were we were planning an intervention. And we I'm were. like, you guys should have <laughs> planned that intervention faster. I would have appreciated the intervention. <laughs> um, but anyway, it is 
knowing that they they would have inter they were going to intervene um is really comforting just so that like yeah i wasn't on i wasn't doing it on my own you mentioned uh a couple times, you know, things that you read or heard from uh, Tim Keller, the yes. pastor um, for yes, a yes, few, yes. couple decades in New York City, since retired, um, facing some challenge, health challenges right now, um, but, you know, has written uh, The Meaning of Marriage with his wife, Kathy. Yes. Um, and what's interesting is you're describing how that affected you as a single person oh, yes. to hear someone talk um, what was it, Christianly about what marriage is, what it isn't, right? All those things. Sometimes people don't even click into that mode until they're like about to get married. And then they're like, let's get, let's get marriage books or whatever. Yeah. But how interesting that in your singleness that you had, whether it was just an interest, but you, that you had those perspectives of a Christian understanding of marriage to help you, to help guide you yeah. as a single person. Right. I think a lot of times like, well, that's not for you yet because that's about marriage oh, and you're not there yet. Yeah. And you're describing something that's quite, quite different. I mean, if the point of marriage is a, is a symbol of Christ and the church, then who you're looking, if like that's the model you're operating under, then who you're looking to partner with will be dramatically different. Then maybe somebody who's like good Christian guy versus like, oh no, we, we have to be on witness as something to the world for the life of the world right? Um, then who you will even spend time around is going to look dramatically different. Mm -hmm. And the opening chapters, actually, I don't know if this is opening chapters, the chapters in Tim Keller's book that the meaning of marriage that are written to single people is a lot of repetition of the idea that you cannot look for a partner the same way the world looks for a partner. If you're saying your goal your tell us your purpose is profoundly different than the world's so um and he he goes through a pretty harsh critique which i have had friends push back on in a helpful way um he goes through a harsh critique of like how christians sort of treat the dating scene like non-christians would and how they're sort of like well who's the what who do i have the initial attraction to and then we'll go from there Versus he says, like, who can be a deep soul friend to you? Um, not ignoring attraction, but like, if that's sort of the foundational thing, who could be a deep soul friend? Because the looks are going to fade by the time you're... What? Oh, I know. <laughs> uh, and My poor wife. She's like, they were never there. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but like, who, who could you develop a deep soul friendship with that, like, God forbid... You have major health issues or you have major, I don't know, that like, oh, the initial thing that I liked about you is no longer you. We were even talking about this today, reading some um, some short stories with my seniors. And in the moment, in the, in the short story, he talks about how, you know, there, he for, for a moment, he didn't find his wife attractive in a season. And they're like, how could he? And I was like, guys, we're all going to be ugly one day. We're all, I mean, maybe we'll be some of those really glamorous older people who are just fabulous. There are a couple of them. There's a couple. I'm not, I'm not anticipating being 80 and glamorous. Like, I just Diamond don't see. Lane or something and some salt and pepper gentleman yeah. once in a while. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, but like to be married 40 years and then look at your spouse and go, you look really different than when I met you. It's, it's going to be something in all of our experience. So um, even in the, yeah, in the more dramatic ways of like you, you're pledging for better, for worse in sickness and in health. And um, yeah, so if you've founded, if your relationship is founded on the fact that they're really attractive or charismatic or something, and then 40 years or later, successful. or successful, right? We're really yeah. driven by someone who's ambitious and who has succeeded and has earned yeah. certain things or has a position um, yeah. that we respect or admire or, yeah. Yeah, in 30 years, you don't know. You don't know. Right. So. Um, Based on our timeline, there'll be at least three more recessions in 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, who knows? Our, our our whole career might be given to robots. <laughs> We're going to end up uh, in a yurt off the grid somewhere. <laughs> yeah, that's my game plan. Yeah. You know that. With an education commune that, uh, yeah, that pays us like in fruit and harvest foods, right? Yeah. Yeah. It'll, it'll, just, be, it'll just be communal. <laughs> um, yeah. So I don't know. That That is sort of a, a ramble about when you're looking for someone. Yeah, that deep soul friendship is going to hold you through in those seasons of recession or sickness or whatever the thing is. Um, speaking like, I'm talking like someone who knows. This is what everybody tells me. And Dr. Woods is nodding, so I think it's right. <laughs> um, but yeah, those that's going to hold through much more than like, I was really admired yeah. Would you want to suffer with this person? Would, would you want this person? Oh. Would this person care for you in your sickness? Right. The, uh, like those vows are. There's a real thing going on in both the intentions uh, and the vows in the traditional form, right? That there. that uh, <laughs> death cab for cutie song. What oh, Sarah boy. said. Oh, callbacks. Oh, callbacks. <laughs> the last line of it is love is watching someone die. Ooh. Oh, lordy. <laughs> I mean, like, but it's like, are, will they be there? That's like, yeah, that's that's like WandaVision stuff. That's WandaVision Grief stuff. love preserving, right? Everyone's like, ooh. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, but okay, but that's the truth. When I do premarital counseling uh, early on in the, those meetings, whether the couple's young or old, you know, wherever they're at, um, we talk about the goal. And the goal is that, you know, till death do us part. Yeah. And the goal is, you know, as you said, the unglamorous you know, moments maybe of physical life or of different challenges or whatever, uh -huh. that this is your person, that you guys are caring for each other, enjoying each other, growing in how you love and, and learn each other mm -hmm. over the years. And, um, you know, uh, each year being able to know and love each other better because love matures and it mm -hmm. deepens it doesn't sort of plateau with the fancy expensive wedding and the pictures or whatever that's not the high point of the relationship right in so many ways that's the beginning of the relationship being confessed and and witnessed to and then sealed by the lord right but that vision especially when you're talking about to younger people right and and i'll jokingly talk about them being sort of very pruney and wrinkly and, you know, on an island somewhere, you know, sipping whatever and, uh, and, and having, having made it, having been, yeah. having lived a life um, that, that someday their children or grandchildren 
could say maybe to a minister or somebody who's doing premarital counseling, did you have any good models of marriage, things that you hope oh, for yourself, oh, right? Yeah. Um, to take it with that huge perspective, uh, which the scripture, as you said, it's like, it's cosmic, it's Christ, it's the church, it's an image of God's love for us. Like there is nothing just simply serviceable about this kind of relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that picture of living a life that leaves a, a legacy of how to care and love someone mm-hmm. um, that would inspire those who know them well, the family, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that might um, come from that line or whatever. Um, just that perspective of what is this really about it's 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 not about just this or how much this is going to cost for this um it's it's about this big beautiful picture of the most sort of personal intimate relationship the lord has given for us in this life right Mm -hmm. um to to teach us about his love um i mean that's it and if you're a christian and you know that Mm -hmm. um don't unknow it right right I think that would be it. I know and I can tell and I know, as you said, when you get married, but certainly as a pastor, I know it can be hard for people to say, yeah, but of course you're going to say, yeah, but of course, and you're married and Lisa's awesome and you, you know, and you have this, right? It can be like, yeah, but it's really difficult out here to be single in this world Mm -hmm. when you'd rather not be and you had expected to be married and all these kinds of things. So maybe to close with a word of encouragement, which I think you've given many, but um, a word of encouragement, you know, a few more weeks and you're not going to be the single person who has that, as you said, that legit sort of credibility as the single Christian woman in the room um, who speaks from that place or whatever. Um, you'll still have that, but let's just say if this was right. one of those moments, those last moments of being able to encourage people in, in a way that you have lived yourself. Um, how would you encourage um, maybe your sisters in Christ or, or brothers in Christ um, to to keep the faith or to, to yeah. not, to not despair, to not, to not give up on, on finding someone that loves the Lord in the way that, that they do or that we should. Yeah. Hmm. Um, the image that has often been used for me, and I can't even think of who used it first, but it's taking from Paul. It's kind of the idea of, you know, run your race, right? And see who's running next to you. Um, Or see who like joins in next to you. And if you feel like as you're running your race, that there's nobody keeping pace with you romantically, like no romantic options keeping pace with you. um, That's okay. Because yeah, better better to be sort of running alone than carrying someone along. Um, and then there there is fulfillment in. It's not the same. It's not the exact same. Um, but there is Christian community that can be deeply restorative to your soul in a non romantic way. So I would. I would say, if there's no romantic partners running next to you, um, get some other running partners that will will go the distance with you through thick and thin. Um, and not just in the like, oh, well, we're all single, we're a crew, but like in a, um, 
through all the seasons of life, like we will will do this together as the Lord allows us. So find those people. If if you don't if you don't have a romantic person, or even if you do have have someone alongside you romantically, um, find those other people to sort of bolster that. Um, and yeah, and then you'll you'll sort of if you're running with it with a group towards an end it will become really clear to you and the others when somebody else isn't keeping pace or isn't heading in the same direction as you. So it's a really helpful thing. And I, um, I don't know, another piece of encouragement is if you are single and don't wanna be, tell your Christian friends that. <laughs> uh, that would be my, yeah, just make it known that you're like, hey, if you meet somebody awesome, let me know. If you have somebody, let me know. Because <laughs> that is how I met my fiance. And it is a wonderful way to meet somebody, to have somebody vouch for them and say, this person's awesome. And you are awesome. Um, it's not always a flawless system, but it's a pretty darn good way to do it. <laughs> um, and then you start off the relationship not in isolation. Um, I think, I know, I know plenty of people who have met on dating apps and are very happy. So no disparaging to dating apps, but it can be very isolating where your relationship sort of exists in a vacuum. So I suppose my other, this is just practical advice now. My other word of encouragement would be involve your friends very quickly, not in a, oh, this is serious, we've involved our friends, but in a, hey, you and I are dating casually, let's get our friends involved. Um, because, yeah, dating in a vacuum is the worst. But I suppose from a, yeah, going back to the bigger theological picture, um, you cannot, if, you, if you're idolizing, if you're idolizing a romantic relationship, you're going to suffocate that other person, right? If, if God is not at, if God is not the, the gaze that you are, are keeping, if, you're, if your eyes are not on him, and then you turn your gaze to somebody else to fulfill, fulfill whatever desire or need, even good ones, um, that person is going to suffocate, that you're going to drag, drag them down because they will never be able to fulfill that need for validation and being known. And, and so the relationship is just a shadow of that. Um, another Tim Keller line I think about all the time, he says that, you know, to be fully known and fully loved is what we're all looking for. It's, and marriage is the closest you can get on earth to being fully known and fully loved. It's imperfect, but it's the closest you can get the only person who can actually fully know you and fully love you is God. But um, so if you are looking for someone on earth to, to know you fully and love you fully, they're never going to quite make it. You, you are fully known and fully loved. And then um, it's okay to pray for and want someone on earth to get a little kind of close to it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> After 30 or 40 or 50 years. <laughs> But, um, and I suppose a word of advice, if you, if this is terrifying for you, I just spent the day with a bunch of students who find marriage terrifying. <laughs> they were terrified at the idea 
Um, I used to say the same thing as encouragement that to be fully, to be known and loved by a human um, and to have them committed to you should be a comforting thing rather than a, um, oh man, they're gonna see all my stuff. It's like, yeah, they're gonna see all your stuff, but they've vowed not to leave you. And hopefully that stirs in you a desire or a passion um, for the God who knows everything about you and um, still loves you and wants you and desires you. Um, so those two things are meant to mutually foster each other. Um, yeah. So that's, those, those are my rambling pieces of advice. <laughs> well, and then one more that you told me, um, try to save your money on uh, the wedding and the ring because apparently, oh, yeah. <laughs> or a bad stone, apparently, yeah. get, is, get this it, right for me. Yes, uh, in a study of 3,000 marriages, um, from was it Emory University, is that what I said? A study of 3,000 marriages found there is an inverse correlation with the duration of the marriage and how much you spent on the engagement ring and the wedding. <laughs> um, Do you hear meaning, that, Orange County? Meaning um, that, yeah, people who spent more on the engagement ring and the wedding tended to have shorter marriages, which uh, that's a whole thing we can unpack. <laughs> Well, to just say, don't worry if you can't afford, right? Like the, all the things. Oh, yeah. If it's humble, right? Like uh, <laughs> the stats, maybe. I mean, some of the best <laughs> weddings I've ever been to are just, you know, a great, it's just a great hang. It's not a whole fancy thing. It's right. just, a, I, went, I went to, you had, did you go to any pandemic weddings? Um, I, I, okay. I viewed um, my sister get married, which what? is incredible. Um, we saw sort of the live stream wow. of them at like um, a place in the Caribbean because um, they were like, you know what, we're just going to do the thing and we're not going to worry about whatever. We're just going to we're just going to turn the video on and we're going to have the honeymoon at the place where the wedding is. Oh. And so they just like went for it. And I mean, it was beautiful. It was so sweet it was like just them the minister right like it was so simple like just to be there and like praying the feed wouldn't break up or drop or whatever but it was it was awesome yeah. and uh and there was no guests there you know yeah. it was like it was wild in that sense but but like even the the, the like the live stream like there you could see comments from his family members you know, we love you guys and i was like your brother loves you you know like it yeah. had a a real like magic to it because it was about it was about the thing it was about. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, we went to a, a 25 person, 30 person wedding. There we go. Which, so I would have thought, so I got engaged in August and we went to this wedding at the end of August. And so, you know, there's sort of a bit of a, you having to release like, okay, it's a pandemic. The wedding may not look like you think it will. We'll hope, but who knows? And then we went to this 30 person wedding that was just precious and just intimate and lovely. And we sat around the fire pit and like had a cheers and a toast. And um, it was fabulous. And we both looked at each other afterwards and went, okay, I see, I yep. get this. Yeah. I get this in that <laughs> you can just have yeah. Uh, intentional time with the people who really mean something to you and you can all cry happy tears together and it won't 
you're not center stage in the way of like, there's no distance between you and your people. You're just with them. So that was a a game changer as well. Um, Because it just, it wasn't about the big show. It was just, let's, we're tired of waiting. Let's do this. Let's have our, um, you know, our bridal party and our closest family here. And uh, let's like, we'll show what God has done. Amen. Amen, Laura Badstone. Three weeks. Three weeks. It's so weird. Three weeks. It's, a, it's, oh. it's so weird. <laughs> this is this is like a special. It's like capturing, it you know, like a moment right before yeah. the moment. I know? just keep looking at him. I look at him. I do a lot. I'll look at him and just look at him and go, who are you? Who are you? What are, what's happening? Where did you come from? You come I don't from? know you. <laughs> I don't know you. <laughs> And, um, you know, and as we're like wandering through the apartment being like, okay, so we'll put this here. And I'm like, we, we, so, but it's good. Don't, don't hear that as me doubting the relationship. It's just, I've been single a long time and suddenly I'm moving in with a boy. This is the mystery of marriage. <laughs> it's very weird. Oh, it's wonderful. And those of us who know and love you both are so happy and excited for you. Um, as I said, Lisa and I will be will be tuning in, and we will we will raise a glass. You should. We will toast you, and um, and we'll be praying for you, and uh, and you're stuck sort of with a job here. So I'm I'm going to see you. You, know, you can't disappear yeah. for six months, but uh, the summer is is yes. you know around the corner. And we look forward to you know uh, in, we'll just how about. The, the money that we would have spent on the big old Orange County wedding, we'll just go out to dinner or something yeah. about that. Yes. <laughs> Food, get back to that $25,000 bougie table. Oh man, yeah. We're just, so we're so, looking for those restaurants, we get opening, spring <laughs> is here, things are we're, happening. We're, we're like, vaccinated, we're-, we're, we're <laughs> Like, let's get together with some people. Woo! One-on-one, not in a big old party, but one-on-one. That's gonna be so cool. Well, I'm happy for you. Thank you so much for for being on the pod and for talking about for talking about life, talking about for talking about your life, and for talking about something that every single person uh, has to navigate one way or the other, and isn't talked about maybe enough in in a lot of uh, church contexts or mm-hmm. or just in general. I just know um, I just know people appreciate uh, when we talk honestly about things that are are real. And yet things that, man, the Lord has given as a good gift. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not, to, as you said, not to be something that is feared or despaired over, but it's something that you can really trust the Lord with. Both of our stories in their different ways um, with meeting these people mm-hmm. who will be or are our spouses. Um, you couldn't have drawn it up. Like you really, you know, he couldn't have drawn it up. Um, and and we did it in that sense. And, and the Lord, but the Lord is the Lord. And he, he loves to... He loves to take care of his his kids and and he made this thing yeah. so um it is good and i do hope people will whether they're anywhere near it um i do hope people will have a place in their heart to say okay i'm not exactly sure what that is or i'm not exactly sure when or whether or what or who mm-hmm. um but i know if that's from the lord that that that's a good thing and mm-hmm. and that i can trust him with how that's going to go um, and how and how I might get to that place. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 
Hold fast. Hold fast. Don't give up the faith. Stay the course, people. Keep running the race and don't slow down. Don't slow down. Don't slow down so that someone can 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 run alongside you. Keep running at the pace the Lord has you. Mm -hmm. Keep growing and trust that the Lord will bring someone alongside at that pace. Yes. Um, yeah. Thank you so much, Lord Baston. Thank you. That's our time, my friends. If you would like to support the podcast, please do subscribe and rate us on iTunes. And if you would like even more content and to become a patron of the podcast, head on over to FromBabylonWithLove.com, click on newsletter, and sign up there. Until then, many thanks to producer Zach Leach for all the twists and turns, and to Lonesome and Muddy, the only house band that'll survive the apocalypse. This has been From Babylon with Love.